0: Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethompson.com. Amen. Give the Lord a hand this morning. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Amen. Amen and amen. I'll tell you what, God is doing such a work in uh, my life individually just to see, thank you Chad, just some of the things that God has been showing me and revealing to me. We've been preaching on this series for the last few weeks out loud. And in the context of this series, we've seen how to live out loud. And we talked, you remember, if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about slaying the giants in our life and how, if you remember in the scriptures, and I didn't know this until I started studying this message. I was just going to give the normal message about how to slay the Goliath in your life and how he took five stones which was the grace of God and how he went and, and fought against uh, an army if you will, a soldier that was bigger than life and he didn't take all of the things that he should have taken. He t- took merely his his shepherd's bag and his and his five smooth stones and he went in because they had been proven and he and I didn't realize that as I read that scripture that the Bible says that he went in and he hit Goliath in the head with the stone. Goliath fell to the ground. And the Bible says that he triumphed over Goliath. And that's what it stops right there. And then it goes on to say in the next few words that then he took the sword of Goliath and then he cut the head off, killing him. And I, and I kind of submit to you that many of you are probably in the same place as I that we thought that the, the stone was what killed Goliath. But the Bible doesn't say that. He says he triumphed. And so I kind of went one step further and I said, you know, the reality is how many times have we killed a giant in our life only to have that, that same giant resuscitated over and again to come face us yet another day? That maybe, just maybe, through living out loud that we decide once and for all to take the head off of that stinking giant in our life. That we behead it so that another day it can't come back and show its ugly face. That maybe we just threw the stone. Maybe we went by the grace of God. Maybe we even triumphed. But did we truly conquer the giant in our life? Because here's the reality, and your life is probably a lot like mine. If we don't cut the head off of that thing, then we find ourselves in this vicious cycle living the same things over and over and over and again. So cut the head off the giants in your life. Be done with it once and for all. Secondly, we talked about loving out loud. Not only do we want to live out loud, we want to love out loud. In fact, if you go through Scripture, you will find that same consistent theme all throughout the Gospels. For God's so love, that definite article so changes everything. That God didn't just love us, but He so loved us. How much? That He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him, shall never perish, but have eternal life. And we throw that around like some simple verse, some Bible verse that is for children. When it's the power unto God unto salvation. And then we went one step further and said in the the words of of John, the the gospel writer, he goes on to say, you know, the way people will know that you're my disciples, Jesus talking, is based on how you love one another. Not your church attendance, not the way you sing, not the way you preach, not if you can build a megachurch. None of that stuff was even in the second, third, fourth, or even fifth in line. It was predicated on our love one for the other. Jesus says, as I have loved you, so ought you to love one another. We're to replicate that love. Why? Because when we become the love of Christ outflowing through our life, then and only then can we truly change the world. Let me tell you something. Anybody can love somebody who can do something great for them. But can you love somebody who is unlovable? You ever seen somebody like that in your life? Don't look at your neighbor. But to love somebody who's unlovable, to love somebody, watch this, who cannot love you back, that's the love of Christ. I share with you at the end of that that even in the last days and hours, of Adolf Hitler's life, having killed some six million Jews, that if in that bunker, wherever he might have died, if he would have repented and invited Jesus into his heart, the love of God would have covered even the multitude of Adolf Hitler's sins. That's the love of my Savior. And then today I want to talk to you about leading, leading out loud. If you have your Bibles, when not you turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, Matthew's gospel, of course, speaks of Jesus coming at the angle of the lion or the kingship. In Matthew chapter 1, of course, he begins to give the lineage of Christ, showing five women. The first four of women of ill repute, women of, uh, of difficulties, women who came from just terrible places, products of incest, women who were prostitutes and so forth and so on, women who were fraudulent in their actions, only to finish with the last lady who found favor in the sight of the Lord, Mary, to show once again the grace of God, it was the grace of God that brought Jesus from the root of David, and Matthew's gospel declares that in the first chapter. And then Matthew chapter seven, we get into this teaching of of, of judging or not judging one another. I, I know we're real quick to say, you know, especially when we're doing something wrong, hey, don't judge me. Judgment, you know, but see the reality is, is we as children of God are to try every spirit. We are to decide. Watch this, mom and dad, where we should and should not allow our children to go. You can call it what you will. You can call it judging your friend. You can call it judging your children's friend. But the reality is, is I get but one shot to raise up my child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I want to do it right according to the Word of God. I'm not really concerned about what other people think. I'm not living a popularity contest. What I'm living is one shot, one chance to be the husband God has called me to be, to be the father, to be the pastor. I'm putting it all on the table. I, got, I love what our pastor, uh, pastor David says. There's no plan B. You're plan A, and there are no other options. You're it. Bless you. I, I thought he was saying praise the Lord a minute ago. I started preaching harder. He was sneezing. Then in Matthew chapter 7, he goes on below that, and he talks about uh, walking in, in a prayer life and having a proper prayer life. And then he goes into speaking about a narrow gate. That there's a narrow way that few will find the path to Christ. But then there's a broad way and many will enter therein. And then he gets down into the verses of chapter 7 and verse 24. And I'm going to read them in just a moment. Before I do, I want to give you a preface. I want to give you an easier understanding today of this idea of leading out loud. I'm going to use, if I may, an analogy. Maybe you can call it a metaphor. I just like to call it an easier understanding of this idea of lead. Here's why. Because if I were to survey this group today and say, how many of you consider yourself to be a leader? Many of you would not raise your hand when, in fact, every single one of you under the sound of my voice in this room or watching my podcast, you are indeed a leader. You are leading somebody somewhere. The question is not, are you leading? The question is, where are you leading them to? The hope in this world is that we all have an ability, an attribute of leadership. Now, when we think leadership, we think military leaders. We think political leaders. Well, maybe, maybe we don't think that at this time of the season that we're in. But we think of, uh, of people like CEOs. We think of people like administrators and and, and hospitals and high schools and so forth. But the reality is, is that the earliest stage of cognitive development in any of your children, you see that there's an ability to lead and you don't even realize it. Because it's really not found in leading, it's found in Building. We are made in the likeness and the image of a holy God who from the very onset of Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, in the beginning, God was, say it with me, created. See, God has been building since the onset of, of history and humanity. He said, let there be a light and at 186,000 miles a second. Light proceeded out of the mouth of God. And he was building an earth. He was building an expanse from the top and one from below. And he was separating things. He was building trees. He was building humanity. He went on to build temples. And in man, he told him to build a temple, to build a wall around the temple. And we see at the earliest phases of even you and I, our children, we take little blocks. Even my grandson, as young as maybe a year old, he would take little blocks and begin to build things. Because we're made in the image and the likeness of God. And see, the reality is, is when we build in people, we're really just leading them. We're building in relationships. We're really leading them. What I'm hope to be doing today is the edifying of the saints is building you up. I'm really just leading you, having been led by the Holy Spirit, who's building me up even as I preach here today, feeling really sick. Y'all pray for me in my throat. Everything's kind of crazy. But you guess what? I thank God today that I'm not here upon my own power, my own volition, but I'm here today based on the power that lives in me that's greater than anything this world can throw at me. Amen. That's my little caveat for I'm sick. Y'all pray for me. We're building things. So today when I talk to you about building, I'm really talking to you about leading. And I want you to really get your head around this idea of building things. Let me show you where I'm going today. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. I'm going to read these verses. I think we're going to throw them up. sermon today is entitled, Leading Out Loud. Listen to what he says. After talking about judging and not judging and talking about prayer and talking about the narrow way, then he gets to verse 24 and he says this. Therefore, whosoever hears the sayings of mine and does them, I will liken unto him a wise man who built his house upon a rock. Everybody say rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house, but it fell not because it was founded upon a rock. Watch what he says in the next verse. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not shall be likened to a foolish man. So you see, the wise man built his house upon a rock. And a foolish man, watch what he does. It says that then there's a foolish man who actually took and did not, he he heard, but he did not do them. And what did he do? He built his house upon a sand. Everybody say sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and fell great was the fall of it. Let me let me say this to you real quickly that when we build things know that there's an enemy out there seeking to tear down everything you're building. See, you go buy a house, but you build a home. You get married, but you build a marriage. You, you have a child, but you build a child who's going to grow up to be an adult, is going to live according to the precepts of God. It's all about building, and in fact, it's really about leading. But I submit to you this morning that the reality is until we build our framework, our foundation, our point of reference on the rock of Jesus Christ, then everything we build is to no avail. It's going to fall. In fact, if I could give you five real quick building blocks. Number one about Leading Out Loud, is I have to build my relationship with Jesus. Sounds elementary, I get it. But the reality is, until I have built my life on the rock of Jesus Christ, this word, Jesus and him crucified and resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father, giving me wisdom and guidance and comfort through the person of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered why Jesus said, it was expedient that I leave you? It's necessary that I walk away from you, Jesus said, speaking about going to the cross and going to the Father. Did you ever wonder why he said this? He said, and if I go, I will send another one in my place, and he shall be called the comforter. Have you ever wondered why there was a need for a comforter? I'll tell you why. I got the answer. It's going to blow your mind. Because God is calling you and I to dream so big that we step out of our comfort zones that if God doesn't show up, we're going to fail. Everything we build has to be built on the premise and the ideal that it is built upon the rock of Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation, that if it's built upon that, it cannot, it will not fall. But if it's built on sand and the storms come, how many of you know the storms are coming? An old guy said one time, Billy Sunday, preacher of the old, old great days of old, he said, you know what? Every one of you in three places, you're either entering into a storm, coming out of a storm, or you're right in the middle of a storm. Can I get a witness this morning? But here's the hope, is that no matter, you heard us read in Psalm 91.1, he says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's a picture of Mama Eagle covering her six, seven-foot wings over her chicks, over the little eagles, wherever you call them, and and the rains and the storms coming. She's got them comforted. The reality is, is the storms will rage, but you can still be standing if you built your life and your faith on the person, the rock of Jesus Christ. But watch this, the first thing I have to do is I have to build my relationship with Jesus in order to effectively lead anyone, which you're going to see behind this, to the person of Christ, I first have to make sure that I've chosen the right point of reference. The Bible refers to it as a cornerstone. Look what he says in Psalm 118 and 22, the stone which the builders refuse is become the head of the stone which is the corner or the cornerstone. If you know anything about building, you realize that even today, but more so in that time, they would have had one stone that would have been the corner block, the cornerstone. That's where they would have put the inscription of the date that that the actual building was erected. Maybe even put in there who it was built for. And off of that cornerstone determined the angle. It determined the offset. It determined the level. Everything, the dimensions, the outer dimension of it was set off of that one cornerstone. But the Bible says something profound in Psalm 118, that the builders rejected it. See, think about it, if you will, for me for for a moment at this day and time. This day and time, and we're getting ready to build up on the mountain, getting ready to build our building. And I've heard this over and over again ever since we acquired that land. Man, you don't realize how many rocks are up there on that property. And I've heard people say, man, they broke drill bits. Well, let me say it how they're telling. They'd come out there with a chalk tobacco in their mouth. they go, they broke drill bits every time I come up here. That's what they tell me. And I went, praise God, we got a rock, and I want to build the church on a rock. And then I went, I, spit. I didn't spit. I wanted to. But see, here's the, here's the thing. Your conviction is built out of the point of reference as to how you see Christ in your own life. Your, your conviction determines the path of your influence. Go back again to what I was saying. You are influencing people, whether you think you are, whether you want to be. You can grab onto it. You can own it. You can write it down, count it. You are a leader. People are watching you. I, I used to love when, when I was when my son was little. I would I would walk through the woods. I would take him hunting. I, I might start crying. I just entered into hunting nostalgia. I remember when I was walking through the woods and I turn around and he wasn't even looking up. You know what he was doing, Doug? He was looking at my feet. And I'm walking in front of him, and I, I, I started playing with him. I went, he never even questioned, where was I going? Dude, you're going in circles. He didn't care. You know why? Because he was walking in my footsteps. And I did the same with my dad. Here's the problem, dads. If our footsteps are rocking in the wrong place and trotting on the wrong ground, look at where we're leading our kids. Let me, let me say it this way. In Galatians chapter 5, don't turn there. Just check it out. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says this. Stand fast in the freedom wherewith you have been made free. And don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. That sets the stage to everything that comes after that in Matthew chapter 5. Having grabbed onto that truth, watch what happens in verse 19 and 23. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Watch this. Here's what happens when you follow the wrong cornerstone. Go back to what I said with building. If the cornerstone is wrong, every single angle, every single dimension, every single offset, everything, the balance, everything is messed up because you're building it based upon that one corner. And if I get that wrong, then here's what I do. I begin to follow my flesh, and watch what happens. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, justful pleasure, uh, lustful pleasure, a little justful pleasure, a little fold in my paper, my bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, Preacher Mark, we want to know all about that, just for pleasures. <laughs> Will you preach on that? <laughs> um, put my eyes on. <laughs> Idolatry, sorcery, hostility. By the way, do you know the greatest level of sorcery? This is just a little extra. It won't cost you anything. Do you know what the greatest level of sorcery in our lives today? You know what it's called? It starts with an M. It's manipulation. The greatest level of sorcery. That I have seen in our culture today. Is manipulation. Not part of the sermon. Just thought you might want to know that. Watch this. Quarreling. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfishness. If any of these are hitting you, you're walking in the sinful nature. Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, Paul said to the church at Galatia. As I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, period. Does it mean that if I take a misstep and I get angry, or I'm going to take a misstep and I do something that has to do with envy, and I take a misstep? No. First John 1 9 says, If I confess my sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me of all, A double L, all unrighteousness. This is talking about a person who would consistently walk in a life completely contrary to what I'm about to read to you in the last of this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I love this. And there is no law against these things. That means that by that, I'm measured out by a level of grace, unmerited favor. Being a Christian does not have to be and should not be a level of drudgery. Thank you. If you got up this morning and you drug yourself to church, you know, here's what I'll say. Bless God. I don't care how you got here. I'm glad you're here. But for the child of the Most High God, living under the measure of his God, I don't deserve one thing good that God has given me. Nothing. And can I tell you something? It wasn't until I started reading this book that I realized how much I didn't know about pastoring, how much I didn't know about being a friend, how much I didn't know about being a husband, how much I didn't know about being a leader of Russia. in, In fact, when I read this book, it makes me realize how small that I really am. But the first hope is that i got to build my relationship with Christ. Why? Because secondly, then I can build my family. The first order of business of any man, woman, boy, or girl is that in your own home. Build the family. Isn't it interesting that right after God created all these things, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he looked out among man. He said, it's not good that man would be alone. He said, there is no suitable helper. So he made woman, and he brought woman to man. A man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Therefore shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave into his wife, and that shall be what? One flesh. To build my family, husbands. I know I went there last week. I'm going there again this week. And every week that God gives me the unction to do so, I'm going to say this. You want your marriage to be great? It hinges on. It starts with. It consists in. And it's founded in you loving your wife as Christ loved the church, period. Everything else outflows from that love. I can prove that to you. Why do you submit to God today? Why do you come to church? Why do you give of your tithe and your offering? Why do you serve? Why do you go on the mission field? Why do you do? I'll tell you why. Because he first loved you. You see, to, to build my family, I realize the first thing I have to do is realize Jesus is my cornerstone. i got to have my relationship right with Christ first. That's my most important relationship. And then watch this. First Timothy chapter 3 says that me and David and Kyle and Tyler as pastors and 14 deacons around this room, if our home is not in order, we are not qualified to stand up here in front of you and preach this book. Period. You paint it up, you can marinate it in all the grace you want to. But the reality is, if I cannot lead my own home, I'm not qualified to lead anybody of believers. And see, here's the thing. If I want to build my family, guess what i got to do? The greatest thing, Scott, that I can ever show my family is to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. Do you know why? Because my little girl used to sit there and watch me love her mama that way and and see me love her the way she deserved to be, not early in our marriage, but later in our marriage, I started to love her the way she deserved to be loved. And you know what it did? It didn't matter what she did. It didn't matter what she didn't do. It didn't matter what she, how she responded. He says, love her the way Christ loved me. Let me tell you how he loved me. He loved me when I was unlovable. He loved me when I was running from him. He loved me when I was cursing him. He loved me when he was the last thing on my list. Amen. He loved me when I was a picture of the Roman soldiers nailing his hands and his feet into the cross. He loved me so much that even on the seven things that he said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When I love my wife that way, my little girl will seek out and find a man who will love her the way Christ loved the church. Daddies, you want to instill in your princess in your home, your little girl who is a prize to be won by some lucky, well-rewarded fella who's going to love her and honor her and treat her the way you had treated her. I was sharing with a couple the other day that I was doing some premarital counseling with, and I was talking about she was going to drop her dad's last name. And I said, that's a big deal. And she started tearing up. And I said, well, you hadn't thought about that, have you? She said, well, I'm a daddy's girl. I said, I know. I said, you are to leave your mother and father and cleave into your husband. And, and man, just this whole world came upon her. And she, she was crying. I mean, it was really, I mean, like fountain of tears. And all of a sudden, she realized. I said, but can I tell you something? I said, I know your dad well enough to know this. Your dad believes that this guy you're marrying is going to love you and treat you with the greatest amount of respect. Man, she just swelled up and she realized that her dad had endorsed that. Why else do you think, ladies, that when when I'm doing a wedding or another pastor's doing a wedding, we don't just say, who gives this woman to be married to this man just because it's a part of some, some ritual. No, no, no. It is a privilege for a man of God, a father, to give his daughter to a man who's going to love her and honor her in sickness and health and take care of her and buy her the things that dad don't have to buy her anymore. That kind of stuff, you know. The reality is that I love looking at these men sometimes. They come down, these old burly guys, and, you know, they walk into the marriage rehearsal, and everything's cool. Everything's clicking, and then I, I come down to do the rehearsal, and I get him down front. and I say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? He goes, her mama. See, because it's a big thing to raise and to build a family. We're building them up. We're building up a family. Can I say this? If you're not building your family, it's not going to sit well. But let it marinate in your spirit. Then you're tearing it down. If you're not building your family, you are tearing the family down. Are you part of the solution or are you part of the what? You're part of the problem. Build the family. Secondly, third, real quick. We need to build our friendships. Band, you guys can come on back up. Building my friendships. Can I say this? This is not this is not in my notes, but I feel like somebody needs this. Be careful who you allow into your inner circle of friendships. People will crush you. People will get in your world just to damage you. Don't look don't look at me like that. You know that that's true. Can I say this? I've heard this ever since I was all the time I've been a pastor. I've heard this, Mark. I would come to your church, but it's just a bunch of clicks. Okay, there's clicks in every church. That's not a church problem, that's a people issue. I don't care where you go. And what does that really mean? That just means sometimes we gravitate towards people that are easier that you have a connection with. Now, when a click becomes a problem, hear me, church, is when we don't let anybody else in, then it's a problem. Then you become a stumbling block. But can I say something to you? Jesus had a click. They were called disciples. He didn't walk by every man he passed and said, hey, follow me. I'm going to make you a follower of me. He didn't. He chose 12 men. And guess what? Within that 12, he had three who called his inner circle. Can you imagine what that must have looked like in the Garden of Gethsemane? He took all these guys and he said, sit you here and pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John. He said, come a little further with me. And you sit here. They went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. They got to see things and know things and hear things. Jesus was setting a model. Hear me, church. Jesus was setting a model in the building of friendships that there are some people you don't need to let in here. There's very few men, and I don't mean this to sound condescending. There are very few men that I will open up and tell my world to. Very few. And they are coming fewer as I get older. Amen, men? But see, here's the thing in building up friendships. We need to be mentoring. Men, you need to be mentoring younger men what I tell our staff all the time and I t- it's just something I believe in you need to be replacing yourself right now this is for everybody in here whatever your job is in life you need to be investing in someone else so that if something happens to you someone else can step up and take over the reins if you got a ministry you need to be mentoring somebody else to come behind you ladies, Titus, the book of Titus says you're to, you're to teach the younger women how to be a wife, how to be a mom, how to be a woman of God. Living a life out loud. I know after women's liberation, women got really loud and they started to declare all of these things over the culture. Jesus hasn't changed his mind about anything. You have a, the same value that a man has. You just have a different role. You have a different part. Not only is there should be mentoring, there should be accountability. How many of you right now, by the raising of a hand, have accountability partners in your life? You have an accountability partner in your life. Hold them up. Hold them up. Say, what does that mean? Let me tell you what it means. Accountability partner will do this. If you are caught in a place in your life where you're sinning, your accountability partner who loves you will come to you, according to Matthew chapter 18, and they will tell you that you are living in sin. But you give them that open door into your life accountability partner is somebody you can call today after you leave church and you say, you know what man, I just don't know what, what God's calling me to do. I feel like God, and they'll pray for you. They won't post it on Facebook. They won't tweet it out. They will just pray for you and they will believe God with you. We need accountability partners. Men, you need accountability partners of men who are married men. You don't need some guy here running the streets and that guy's your accountability partner. First off, he's miserable. He just don't want you to know it. He's going to make you see all the glory in being a single man. Ladies, same thing. Don't choose some single girl over here to be your accountability partner to invest in your life. Choose a woman who's living after God's precepts in her own home to invest in you. You see how this building block just builds off of that cornerstone of Christ. And And then last thing in this area. It's discipling. Every single one of you in the sound of my voice should be discipling someone in the person of Jesus Christ. Every single one of you. In fact, if you look into Acts chapter 6, prior to Acts chapter 6, the Bible says that Peter would preach and that there were thousands added to the church daily. And then there was the Hellenistic Jews in Acts 6 where it says they were being uh, set aside. Nobody was ministering to them. So they said, seek out among you and find men full of the Holy Ghost of honest rapport that will go out and serve the tables. That's where we get the word deaconos or deacon. And the Bible says after they brought in these deacons, these servers of tables, they went out and the Bible says the church grew rapidly. It multiplied rapidly. We're better together than we are by ourselves. Amen. Every one of you need to be discipling somebody. What does that mean? Teach them how to pray. Teach them in the Word. Teach them about church. Teach them about going deeper. Teach them about believing God and dreaming. Amos says, in the final days, young men will see visions and men will dream dreams. What is that talking about? Let me tell you something. When we stop dreaming, we stop vision casting. And without vision, the people perish. We got to be dreamers, but not just some some. Out in the pie in the sky, wandering. We got to be dreamers with a plan of action. We got to start believing that God can do exceedingly abundantly above that which we can ask or think. I told you all the story. When I showed up at the mountain that day, I went and looked at the little clubhouse with three acres. That's how big I thought God was, and that was big. And God said, oh, no, no, no. We're not just getting the three acres. You're getting all the houses. You're getting all the, not the houses. You're getting all the property, 385 acres. And guess what? I'm supposed to still blow your mind. We haven't even seen the tip of the iceberg as to what God's going to do in our midst. I'm dreaming. I hope you are. And then finally, not only building friendships, we need to build the church. We need to build the local church. Why? I'm glad you asked. Somewhere around Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi he's standing at the mouth of this big huge opening I've actually seen it in in, in, pictures and it's about as big as this wall and they used to cast a lot of false prophets and false teachings used to cast people into that place it was called the gates of hell and they they would kill babies and they would throw them into this pit and Jesus stood at the mouth of this opening one day and he said who do people say that I am? Some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're John the Baptist. Who, Peter, do you say that I am? See, it goes now to personal. Who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, Peter, this has not giving, been given you by flesh. This has been given it by you to you by God. And upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church. And he pointed. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. Do you know everything I just told you about can be torn down? Except the church is the one thing that will not, cannot, shall not fall. Oh, yeah, local churches can fall. When we as pastors get our hand in it and start doing stupid things, the church can fall, can't it, church? It can fall. I've seen it before. But if we get on this book and we realize this is the only hope we got, this is the word that he holds above his own name, that there is no good in Mark, there's no good in you. The only good is Christ in me, crucified, resurrected, seated at the right hand, speaking through the Holy Spirit. Then it cannot, will not, shall not fall. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, that's the one thing we want to build. Build the local church. The church is what Jesus died for. He didn't die for 10th Avenue North Concert. He didn't die for Rush Weekend. He didn't die for all these other parachurch organizations. Those are merely tools that we use to get people to the church. Jesus died for the local church. And then the last thing, and I want you to grab onto this today. You need to be building a legacy. I'm not talking about a popularity show. I'm not talking about a name for yourself. A legacy. This simply says this. That once I invest in myself and I teach my flesh how to, how to walk away and succumb over to the Spirit and let the Spirit guide me that I may fulfill those nine fruit of the Spirit. And that when I build into my family, I can be the husband God called me to be, the father God called me to be, the son, the pastor, the brother, the friend. And that then, and only then, I can build into my friendships and into my circle of influence. Being careful who I allow into that private place that only is for me and God. And then... Fourthly, I can build into the church and I can see the local church, not just Northridge, but my heart, my hope is that these little lines we've drawn in the sand, somebody will come along and erase them and we can just step over and say, we're just one church, man. We're just trying to figure it out. We're trying to win people for Christ because when the church is arguing, we look stupid and we look divided in the face of the enemy because the enemy today is not divided. He's united. He is together. There's nothing in the world slowing down the forward motion of the enemy can I tell you something but when the church is built upon not Peter the little rock but upon his declaration that thou art the Christ the son of the living God when we build the church upon that and upon this book the gates of hell will not prevail against it and we can rise up and we can be counted and we can make a difference because you're the church you're what Jesus died for we're better together than we are by ourselves let's build a legacy what is the legacy? We need to leave this place better than when we found it. Build something that's going to outlive you. Build something that when you die, that when you close your eyes, that you can say, I invested in my son, and he's going to be a good man. I love my daughter And she's going to be a good woman I treated my wife with respect and dignity And I didn't buy into the lies of the enemy That there's something better out there No, no, no The best thing I got is the woman that God gave me Out of 7.1 billion people on planet earth He chose for me Stephanie Barnum Pritchett That is my bride You can't have her She's mine and I love her And I'm going to love her With everything that I got Guys, it's time We stand up Everybody stand up today Stand in the room It's time to be counted. It's time to start building. Quit tearing down. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. While you're standing to your feet today, do you know that you know that you know that if you died right now, that you have heaven for a home? Don't you dare sit there today and say, man, I hope so. See, the Bible says, these things have I written you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not a hope so gospel. Do you know him this morning? If you know that you know if you died today, you'd spend eternity in heaven. Right now, lift your hand. Lift your hand high. Say, I know that I know. Some hands cannot go up. Lift your, put your hands down. If you don't know today, would you pray with me? Right here, right now. Pray this prayer, something like this. By his measure of grace, through your faith in him. I'm just a messenger today. Pray something like this. Say, Father in heaven, I'm a sinner. And I believe in Jesus. And I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart. Forgive me of all my sin. Make it personal today. Don't just recite some words. Say, dear Jesus, save me. Be the Lord of my life. Help me to live for you until the day you call me home. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed today and asked Christ into your heart, I just want to pray for you. Right now, lift your hand. Lift it up high. I pray. And God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, ma'am. Anyone else? And you, sir, anyone else? Pray. God bless you, sir, and anyone else. I pray. I see six or so hands already gone up. Anybody else? Say, I pray. And I ask Jesus in my heart. How about the rest of you? Is it time to build something? Is it time to dream again? Is it time to put down the petty differences and stand up and be counted and get in there and start doing something for the glory of God? If that's you today and God spoke to your heart, right now, lift your hand up. Lift it up high and say, yeah, I heard him today. I heard his voice. Hands are going up all over the room. Here's what I'm going to do. Y'all look this way. I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to stand right here. Pastor Davidson. Oh, he's playing. Chad's over there. Ben's over here. Tommy, come on down. Here's what I want you to do. If God spoke to your heart today, The doors of our church are open. If you'd like to be a part of Northridge, come and be a part of what God's doing. If you just want to come shake our hand today and say, hey, God spoke to me, that's it. Or if you got some prayer in need. But don't stand there. Be counted today. If God spoke to your heart, y'all come.